0: So, let's talk about 1 John. 1 John, chapter 1, we're in today. And we're starting this brand new book, and I'm excited because it's a great letter. It's a great letter written by, listen, written by Jesus' best friend. Do you know that? This Apostle John was Jesus' best friend. Um, we're going to teach, this best friend of Jesus is going to teach us a lot as we go through this book. It's, and what we're going to specifically look at today is fellowship. The name of my title of my message today is just fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. Principles on how we can have better fellowship with God and better fellowship with one another. And we're going to just look at three things in these, in these first ten verses of chapter one. We're going to see the basis for our fellowship. We're going to see hindrances in our fellowship with God and one another, and then we're going to see keys in our fellowship with God and one another that will help unlock a greater fellowship with God and with one another. Let's talk about, first of all, this epistle, though. Who was it written to? It was written to uh, churches in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. It was written uh, by the Apostle John as a circular letter to be dispersed around all these churches in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And it's interesting, too, because there were some reasons John wrote this letter. And we're going to see four reasons laid out as we go through this book why he wrote this letter to these churches and why the Holy Spirit inspired this letter to be written uh, in the canon of Scripture. These are the same purposes for the first century as the 21st century. So four reasons why this letter was written. First reason is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, these things we write, Apostle John writing, these things we write so that our joy might be made what? Full, full or complete. First reason this letter was written is so that we'd, we'd, we'd learn how to have more joy in Jesus. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be, be made full. And I love this. One of the reasons this letter was written is so we might walk more in joy. And I don't know about you, but I like joy. I like living in joy. I like the fact that my last name is Hoppy, and I'm always Hoppy. <laughs> I like joy. I, I like being around joyful people. I like joyful Christians. I like joyful Calvary Chapel Christians. I like the fact that when we come in here on Sunday mornings, there's smiles on people's faces. We're not like, Woo. no, we're smiling because this is the day the Lord has made and we're going to be rejoiced and be glad in it, right? Yes. In this scripture, one of the purposes of this book is so that we would learn how to have more joy and our joy might be more complete. And as we go through this book, it's going to add to our joy. As we get these principles out of here that we're going to get out of here, it's going to bring more joy in our lives. Second reason why this book was written. Uh, go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's the second purpose for this letter. Not only that we might have more joy, that we might have victory over sin. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through the principles that are in this book, it's principles that will help us to have more victory against sin in our lives. And I don't know about you, I like that too. I want to win. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to run this race in such a way to win. I don't want to just be, you know, passing through life, barely making it as a Christian. I want to be a victorious Christian. And I want us as a church to be a church full of people that are victorious Christians. And the principles in this book will help us. He writes these principles so we may, might not sin. The word might not sin in the Greek is might not practice sin or live in defeat in uh, sinful lives. The third purpose for this book, 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. These things I've written to you according to those who are trying to deceive you. Third purpose of this book is so that we don't, get deceived by false teachers. Now, in the first century when this book was being written, there was a whole group of false teachers infiltrating the church. It was called Gnostics. And they were trying to get the church to believe things about Jesus Christ that was wrong. And you know that's still happening in our culture today? There's universalism prevalent all throughout our culture, even in some churches today. And one of the purposes of the Scripture is so that we might not be deceived by the winds of doctrine that are blowing through the church that are false teaching. And the more you get in the word, the more the word protects you from being deceived by false teaching. And the principles in this book will help us with that. One of the things I love is the more I get to understand God's word, the more I apply God's word, the more I get God's word in my heart, when false teaching comes up, I just get a red flag. Because I go, that's not what the Bible says. Red flag. Turn the channel. Not listening to you anymore. And that's what the word of God is for. It's to be a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path to keep us away from being deceived. Fourth purpose of this book, First John five thirteen. These things I've written to you be, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The fourth purpose of this book is so that we can have an assurance of our salvation. An assurance that if we have Jesus, we got it. We have eternal life. And one of the goals of the devil is to get us to live in condemnation and guilt and shame to the point we start doubting our salvation all the time. And this book will give us an assurance of our salvation as we go through it. So that's, that's the four purposes of this book. First purpose, joy. Second purpose, victory. Third purpose is stay away from false uh, deceptive teaching. Fourth purpose, assurance of our salvation. Now there's three sections of this book as we go through it. The first chapter we'll see is a section on light. God is light. Chapters 2 and 4 is a section on love. God is love. Chapter 5, is the last chapter, is the fact that God is life and specifically eternal life. So we're going to see some great things about God as we go through this book too. We're going to see his light. We're going to see his love. And then we're going to see also his life, the eternal life that we have through him. So let's jump right in. Oh, before we do that, let's talk about the author though, Apostle John. Again, as I already said, he was Jesus' best friend. How do we know that? Because the, the gospel of John tells us he was the disciple Jesus especially loved. Wow, what a title, huh? And not only that, he was a part of the inner three. He was a part of the, the three closest disciples. Peter, who else? James and John. He was the one that went with Jesus into that room with no other disciples, just Peter, James, and John. And they went in there, and Jesus said to that little girl, arise, Jairus' daughter, arise. And she was dead, stone cold, dead. And Jesus wanted to show his best friends the power that he had to raise her from the dead. He had the privilege, too, of being on that mountain, Peter, James, and John, when Jesus was transfigured and he was in his glorified state, And then Moses and Elijah came and they talked with Jesus as Peter, James, and John saw that. Can you imagine Jesus in his glorified state? John had the privilege too of being at the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus asked his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, hey, pray with me. This is my my hour right here. Pray with me. And they saw Jesus make that statement. John saw this. He saw, if it's at all possible, Father... Take this cup from me, but not my will be done. What did he say? Your will be done. John saw that. And then he saw Jesus sweating blood because of the distress he was in about to face the cross. But John also saw Jesus for 40 days appear in a resurrected form with many convincing proofs. Can you imagine? And then John also saw Jesus step on a cloud. And it would be ascended into heaven. And then that angel said to him, hey, just as he left on a cloud, he's coming on a cloud. That's who's writing this letter right here. I think there's a few things that we can learn from him, amen? John, the apostle, the apostle. And then John was also the one that was the only male disciple we know of that stood by Jesus at the cross. Now, there's women there's women, there's Mary's that stayed with Jesus at the cross, but all the other disciples, even Peter and even James and all the other male disciples, they hightailed it out of there, probably ran up to the upper room, but John said, no, 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 I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm going to stay with him at the cross. And then Jesus looked to John and looked to his mom as Jesus was dying and said, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mom. What was he doing there? He was entrusting the care of his mom, Mary, to his best friend. That's John. That's who's writing this letter. This is Jesus' best, best friend. Interesting thing about John, too. He had a nickname. Do you remember his nickname in the Gospels? He got his nickname, from, and I could just see the Jesus and the disciples kind of poking fun at him with the nickname because he was with his brother. They were sons of Zebedee, James and John, and they got to the city called Samaria, and in Samaria they got totally rejected by the people. They, they basically pushed Jesus out of their town. And remember what John said? He said, Jesus, they just insulted you. They pushed you out of their own town. They didn't want nothing to do with you. Let's call down thunder and fire from heaven and disintegrate these people let's wipe them off the face of the earth let's take them out jesus jesus said you don't know who you're talking to here i'm not about killing people i'm about saving people is basically what jesus said but by the way because you said that james and john you got new nicknames you're the sons of thunder and I could, just see, I could just see John for the rest of those three years of public ministry. Oh, Sons of Thunder, you know. They probably had leather jackets with bolts, lightning bolts on the back. You know, Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder, right? But now this is 60 years later. The Apostle John's writing. And the church gave a new nickname. It wasn't Son of Thunder anymore. You know what it was? The apostle, John is the apostle of love. Love. That was his nickname now. It wasn't about killing people anymore. It was about loving people. And he he writes right in this book, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and he who knows God loves, because God is love. And there's a tradition in the church that the Apostle John in his last days, after he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and after he was 90-some years old, he could barely walk, and so he was in Asia Minor, he was back in the church in Ephesus, the flagship church, and there's a tradition in the church that said they would bring John, this Apostle John who was in his 90s, in his last breaths, they would bring him out a platform to the churches. In Asia Minor, and they would carry him into the church, and he would look out on the people, and he would just say these words He'd say, Little children, let us love one another. And then they'd bring him out again, because he was the apostle of love. We're gonna learn some great stuff in this book from this apostle of love. So let's dig right in, church. You ready? All right. First John chapter 1, let's dig. It says, What was from the beginning. This is, first of all, the basis for our fellowship. What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, what we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we've seen, and we testify, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we've seen, what we've heard, he's, he's being repetitive here, what we've seen, what we've heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too might have what? Here it is right here. Fellowship with us. and indeed, our fellowship is with who? The Father, and, notice, with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy here it is again, may be made complete. Now, first of all, we're looking at the basis for our fellowship, and here's the basis for our fellowship. very simple. Jesus. You want to have fellowship with God, you got to go through Jesus. And he tells us some things about Jesus. He says, first of all, Jesus was from the beginning. In his gospel, the same writer said this In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what this is speaking of in the very beginning here is Jesus was the only human being that never had a beginning point because he was from the beginning. He was and is and is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And that's, that's that's the basis for our fellowship because he was... Fully man, yes, but he was fully God. In John chapter 1, also we're told by this apostle John that nothing came into being but through him. He was a part of even the creative process of creating everything out of nothing. He was from the very beginning. But notice what John says about this one who was from the very beginning. He says, that which we, me, John, we've heard. Now the word heard there in the Greek, interesting. weast, that Greek scholar from Moody, says the, the word heard means Heard to the point that it's still ringing in our ears. Think about this. This is 60 years later, and he's still contemplating. We heard the one from the beginning, God in the flesh, teach us. We heard his voice, the one who is God in the flesh. We heard him say, Lazarus, come forth. And this mummy came out of the grave who had been dead for four days. And his sister said, don't call him out. He probably stinketh. And he came forth from the voice of Jesus just saying, come forth. We heard his voice. We heard the one that was called the word. The word meaning logos, meaning the communication of God. We heard him teach us. We heard him teach us the Beatitudes the Sermon on the Mount. We heard him teach us all those incredible parables. We heard him teach us about life and eternal life. We heard him teach us about forgiveness and mercy, and the grace of God. We heard him. But not only do we hear him, it says we saw him. That's what, which is, It says that which we have seen, now the word seen there is to gaze upon with intensity to the point that you can't get it out of your mind. This is 60 years later and he's saying, it's still in my mind. John says, it's still in my mind. We saw God in the flesh walking on water, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. We saw God in the flesh, you know, again, raising Lazarus from the dead. We saw God in the flesh Feeding 5,000 men, equivalent of with women women and children, 15,000 people with two fish and five, you know, two two fish and five loaves of bread. And in that that story about Jesus feeding them too, it says that as he handed out the bread and the fish, they were just multiplying in his hands. These are fishermen watching this. Amazing. We saw these things. We saw this one. Die in a cross and have a sword put through his side and breathe his last breath, and then three days later we saw him resurrected from the grave. We saw these things, and they're etched in our minds for the rest of our lives. We we gazed upon it with intensity that it's still stuck in our minds. That's what we saw. But then it also says, not only do we see these things, go back to verse one. We looked and we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, the word touch there is we handled. Think about that. He's 60 years later and he's thinking, I touched God. I touched him. And Thomas, remember Thomas, he even put his finger through his nail-pierced hand and his sword-pierced side and he, to, to verify this is, this is Jesus, the one who's risen from the dead. They handled him. They probably had some hugs from Jesus, too. Can you imagine? Can you imagine John six years later? God hugged me. That's awesome. We handled the word of life. And he's the basis for our fellowship. And this life, verse two, was manifested. And we've seen, he's emphasizing, and we've seen we testify when we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, what do they call Jesus there? Eternal Life. What's the basis for our fellowship with God? What's the basis for our salvation? What's the basis for us having eternal life? Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives and be, believes in me shall never, what? Die. I am the resurrection of life. And we're told in John of this very epistle, 1 John 5, 11, and 12, and the testimony is, is this, that God has given us eternal life, this life is in his Son, and he who has the Son has the what? Has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And so this, this, this Jesus is the source for eternal life, and that's what's proclaimed by John and by the gospel and by the apostles. Now verse 3, what we've seen and heard and proclaimed to you also, so that you too may have, here it is, fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, listen. listen. The word fellowship, interesting word. It means to have in common. It means to be in partnership with. It means to participate with. Um, It means that you're, our, 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 our vernacular today, the slang would be, you're in cahoots with. Have you heard that before? You're in cahoots with somebody. That's what it means to have fellowship. With, uh, you're participating. You're in partnership, man. And the moment you get saved, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're in common with God. You're participating with him. You're in partnership with him. You're in cahoots with God. But here's a cool thing. As you're in cahoots with God, you start being in cahoots with one another. And our common bond is Jesus Christ. That's the basis for our fellowship. And have you noticed that? When you fall in love with Jesus, and you're around other people that love Jesus, you're just connected with them, right? Our fellowship is with God, and the source of our fellowship with God, the basis of that is Jesus Christ, and we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, and then it says, and then we have fellowship with one another. We're connected with one another through Jesus Christ. I got a couple pet peeves. You know preachers have pet peeves sometimes? One of my pet peeves is when I talk to a Christian and they say, "Well, I can't really hang out with those Christians cuz I got nothing in common with them. I mean, I'm a I'm a Gamecock fan and they're a Tiger fan. How can I hang out with them?" Or I got nothing in common with them. I, lo- I love football. And they don't want anything to do with football. They they just want to watch baseball. Or well, just, stop it. That's not our koinonia. What's our co- what's our commonality? It's not baseball or Gamecocks or Tigers. Our commonality is Jesus Christ. Don't tell me you don't have anything in common with other Christians. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you got the cross in common. you got the word of God in common. You have the Holy Spirit in common. you got the heaven in common. You have the same home you're going to for the rest of eternity. You better start learning to get along now. we got the rest of eternity to spend with one another. Amen? Amen? We have fellowship with one another through the basis of Jesus Christ being our commonality. Our koinonia is Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful. And then it says this as we have fellowship with one another, we got joy. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I don't know about you, but man, hanging out with y'all, hanging out with Christians, it provides me joy. I was talking to Dan Osterhaus, one of our elders, Friday night, and I shared this with the men's breakfast yesterday, but. We have a great time on Saturday morning. Our men's breakfast. Not only do we have great eating, we got great fellowship. I love our time on Saturday mornings. And I was talking to Dan on Friday night, and I was teaching yesterday morning the men's breakfast, and we were just talking about scriptures and everything else. And Dan saying goodbye to me on the phone Friday night. He goes, "You know what? I'm looking forward to tomorrow." And I said, "I'm looking forward to tomorrow too, men's breakfast." And he goes, "And he goes, John, you know what? I got meetings all week long, but my favorite meeting every week is our men's breakfast." It's just a blast because we have fellowship as men on Saturday mornings like that. It's awesome. What's the source of our, our joy? How do we get our joy to be made complete? It's two things. Fellowship with God in his presence, his fullness of joy, and then fellowship with one another. Here's another pet peeve I got right now. This whole coronavirus thing. I no—I don't know about you. I'm sick of it. I am sick of the isolation I'm sick of the lockdowns. I'm sick of the whole thing. And one of the reasons why I'm sick of the whole virus thing is because it's keeping Christians away from one another in isolation instead of fellowship. And it's driving, I'm done with it, man. And and you know what? What I see is, is what I see as people isolate, they don't have joy, they got depression. And as people isolate, And they stay away from church, and they stay away from fellowshipping with other Christians. Oh, I could just stay home and stay in my PJs and have pancakes and just watch it online. Yeah, you could do that, but you're not connecting with anybody doing that, right? It's time for us to connect again. Because in our fellowship, there's joy. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking in our own assembly together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more, listen, all the more as the day draws near, right? That's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. That's, a, that's not a suggestion, church. That's a commandment. That's, a, that's an imperative in the Greek. That means we're commanded not to forsake our own assembly together as is the habit of some. And especially as the day draws near, we need to be together. Why? Because there's a synergy. It says that in Hebrews 10, 24. There's a stimulation to love and good deeds and righteousness when we gather together. As iron sharpens iron, one man, one woman sharpens one another. We need to be together. And I don't know about you, but when I'm hanging out with you all, and I'm having fellowship with y'all, and I'm having koinony in the spirit with y'all, I get strength from that. That stimulates me. That gets me going. I can't stand. Part of it's my extrovert personality, but I can't stand not being in fellowship. I tell you what, when we did this drive-up church, it was driving me crazy because everybody had to stay in their cars. I had to stay. Pastor Mike and I were standing on the roadside as people were leaving and just trying to connect some way. God bless you, thanks for coming to church, but it's not like being able to be together. And that's why I'm praying that this, this we're on the last leg of this virus thing, we're going to get her done and get back to being close and connected with one another, amen? amen? Fellowship with one another, it's important, it's important, and the basis for our fellowship is Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at some hindrances to our fellowship. Verse five, this is the message we've heard from him, and announced to you, this is 1 John 1, five that God is what? He's light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. Now, that tells us a little bit about God. God's light. We learned that in Revelation the last two chapters, right? What's going to light up heaven for the rest of eternity? It's God. It actually says in both chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, there's gonna be no need of lamps, there's gonna be no night in heaven because of the glory of God and his light is gonna light up heaven for the rest of eternity. That's pretty cool. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and he who believes in him and believes in me will not walk in darkness. Jesus also said that darkness hates the light and there's gonna be some repercussions sometimes when we're living in the light because people out there in the darkness... Don't want their darkness exposed. But Jesus also said, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. And so one of the things that hinders our fellowship with God and with one another is when we start getting pulled into the darkness again. We start living in, instead of truth, we live in deception. Instead of righteousness, we live in immorality. We get pulled back into the darkness and that'll hinder our fellowship with God. You know, that's Satan's goal, by the way. Satan is not happy when people get out of his grasp, get out of darkness, and get into his light, into God's light. Satan hates that. And the goal of Satan on a regular basis in all our lives as Christians is to pull us back into darkness. Because when we get into darkness again, which is deception and lies and immorality and unrighteousness, and we start walking in that again, it hinders our fellowship with God. Now, question, does that mean we start getting involved in things we shouldn't be doing as Christians? Does that mean we're going to lose our salvation? No, I don't think so. But it'll hurt our, our fellowship with God because Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And one of the things that hurts our fellowship with God is we get in darkness and we stay in the darkness and instead of living in truth, we start living in lies again. And that's a problem. Because it, it, it hampers our relationship with God. Now, does it mean we lose our salvation? No. But I don't know about you, I want to stay close with God. I want to be someone who has intimacy with God. I want to be someone who, as a deer panted for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee. And I want to meet with the living God on a daily basis. And I don't want any sin in my life that's going to wreck that intimacy with God. And sin could do that. Sin could do that. So that, that's, that's the thing that hinders our intimacy with God, is getting back in the darkness and walking in darkness. So what's the, what's the keys that unlock that? What's the keys that can help us in our closeness and fellowship with God? Let's look at it now. First key. Go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have what? Here it is again. We have what? Fellowship with one another. And the, I love this verse. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from some sin. Is that what it says? From what? I like that, all. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what all means? All. All. (laughs) Everything. Everything, everything. And so the first key to fellowship with one another and fellowship with God is the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all our sin. Now the word cleanse in the Greek there, it means continually cleansing us. And here's what happens. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The moment you receive Christ, what happens is the blood of Jesus continually cleanses you from all sin, all sin being past sin, present sin, even future sin, continual cleansing, because Jesus said on the cross, paid in full. It is finished. The work is done. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to what he's done on the cross for your sins. But you've got to receive that. And the Bible says he stands at the door of everybody's heart, and he knocks, and he wants to come in, and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to cleanse all your sin. But there's a first step, and the first step is you've got to open your heart to that and believe and receive. And when you do that, you're cleansed. It's gone. The sin is lifted. You're cleansed, cleansed. And I like that. Continually cleansed for the rest of your life from all your sin. I remember what had happened to me. 42 years ago. Man, I'm getting old. 17-year-old kid. Finally understood the cross and what Jesus did for me on the cross. Finally got to the point where I realized I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I needed to open my heart to Jesus. I did and I'll never forget the grace awakening that happened there and the guilt lifting that happened there and it was like I had all this condemnation just in 17 years I screwed up pretty good and God took all that and nailed it to a cross and he clothed me with his righteousness and even though my sin was a scarlet I I felt it I was white as snow guilt was gone man It's awesome no more of the, ooh, 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 at nighttime, heebie-jeebies, I called them. remember before I got saved, I remember sitting up in bed, especially right before I got saved, I remember sitting up in bed and getting heebie-jeebies. And what I mean by that is I was sitting in bed and just thinking, I, these Christians are telling me about, I'm going to hell if I don't receive Christ, and I think they're right. And I remember that, that instinctive feeling that I was not right with God and if something was happening to me, I would go straight to this place called hell and I needed to receive Christ. And shortly after that, I did. But I remember the the fear of that. But then I remember coming to Christ. The blood of Jesus cleansing me from all my sin and his perfect love casting out all fear. It's awesome. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. That's the first key to fellowship with him, the Father, and with one another. Second key, Now, go on. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. Uh, uh, again, it, it, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But look at verse eight and verse 10. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Skip to verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, why do we make God a liar if we say we have not sinned anymore? Because what does his word say? Romans 3.23, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And we're told all throughout Scripture, even our filthy rags, or, or, or even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. We're told all throughout scriptures we're sinners and we need redemption. We need a savior. And when someone comes along and says, hey, I'm not a sinner, that person might be a sinner, but I'm a good person. I, and, you know, I've, I'm up great. You know, I, I, if, if, you, if you were to ask me why should, I, why should God let me in heaven, it's good. I'm a good person. I got news for you. You're not a good person and I'm not a good person. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And if you think you're this great person, you need to look at the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and have your standard be Jesus Christ and not other knuckleheads out there. Because that's our problem. We're grading ourselves based on other people out there rather than Jesus Christ. And Jesus' standard is therefore be perfect as my Father and I are perfect. And I don't know about you lately, I ain't perfect. I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not us, and then we make God a liar. So here's the second key. The first key to unlocking fellowship with God is just, just, you know, basically the blood of Jesus and receiving that and accepting that and believing the cross has set you free from sin and you're cleansed. But the second key is coming clean. And realizing who you are—the first step to salvation, which is the hardest step—is to realize you're a sinner in need of a savior, and to have a broken and contrite spirit that says, "God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins." That's the first step into the kingdom, but it's also an important thing to keep our fellowship open with God—is to be people that stay honest and authentic, and don't fake your Christianity. What's the difference between King Saul and King David? Think about that. King Saul just didn't kill the, all the Amalekites, the king and the livestock, and he got banished from being a leader and king the rest of his life. David committed much worse sin. He committed adultery and then killed the husband of the one he was having adultery with and then, then hid it for a whole year. But, but David was restored. Why? Because Saul never came clean. He said, well, I saved the livestock to be a religious offering to God. Praise the Lord. The Lord liveth. And he never came clean. He wasn't honest and genuine authentic of the, of the dirtiness in his life. David, when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he came clean. He said, I demand. That's John Hoppe translation, but that's basically what he said. I'm the guy. I did it. And against God and him only, I sinned. He was honest and he was authentic and God said, I got someone I can work with here. I'll restore him because of his honesty and authenticity. And I tell you what, that's one of the pillars for my Christianity is I don't want to be a fake Christian. I want to be the real deal. I want to be honest. And when I mess up, I don't want to pretend like I'm not messing up, man, because I mess up. And I love Calvary Chapel because that's one of our distinctives too. Pastor Chuck modeled it our founder, he was just a genuine, authentic, one of the reasons why the hippies liked Pastor Chuck so much is because they found somebody that was real. He, he, and he wasn't a hippie at all. He was like, I mean, he'd, he'd wear like, you know, uh, professional like IBM Xerox, you know, collared shirts, and these hippies would be coming with tie-dye shirts in. You know, and he, he was already an older, gentle, middle-aged man, and these teenagers are coming in, and they loved Pastor Chuck because he was real. He was authentic. He didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. And that's important for our fellowship with God and with one another. Let's be real. Let's be authentic. Let's not say, I'm not a sinner. No, you are a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And and, people try to put me on a pedestal, oh, you're this pastor of Calvary Chapel or anything. yeah, I am one beggar showing the other beggars where the bread is. That's all I am. And let's stay that way, right? We're just sinners that have been saved by the amazing grace of God. And that, that helps our fellowship with him and with one another. Now last thing, this is a key verse, by the way. If you don't have this verse memorized, Christians, memorize it. First John chapter 1, verse 9, what does it say? This is our last key to fellowship. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous. Another version says faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then what? Purify or cleanse us from all righteousness, The last key to maintain fellowship with God. Hey, first key is the blood of Jesus. Second key is being honest, authentic Christians that are living in honesty. The third key, confession. And the word confession there is a very interesting word, homologia in the Greek, It means this. It means just agreeing with God with what he says is right and what is true. And it's coming into his presence saying, God, I agree with you. What I did here was wrong. God, forgive me, and God, help me to get back to doing what you say is right. That's confession. And when you do that, God doesn't say, Ooh, what's the matter with you? You keep doing that. What's the matter with you? No, no, no. What does it say? When you confess your sins like that, what does he say? I'll be faithful. And I'll even be just. Why? Because the cross has covered that sin, and then I'll cleanse you, purify you from that unrighteousness. The Bible says, the righteous man falls seven times. It says this in Proverbs chapter 24 16. The righteous man falls, what, seven times. He rises again. When I was in college, going through all that college stuff, and being a young Christian, and trying to walk right with God, and I got involved with this really great church, and the pastor there had one of his euphemisms, one of his sayings, I wrote it down on my notebook as we do Bible studies, because he said it more than once, he said this, spiritual maturity is not measured by how often you fall, but how quick you get up. I think that's true. We need to keep short accounts with God. An important part of staying close in our relationship with God, that key that final key is confession. And that's why I think every single Christian should include in their daily prayer times and their daily devotions a time of confession. Personally, when I pray every morning in my quiet time, I go through Acts. Adoration, I start with praise I adore God, I give him praise Because he's worthy of it And then after adoration, I go to see I go to confession And I confess all my sins, all the dumb stuff I've done since my last quiet time I bring it to his throne of grace And I confess and I say, God, I'm sorry Forgive me, forgive me for that conflict I got on with Heidi And I kept arguing with her even though I knew she was right Forgive me Forgive me, Lord Cleanse me of that Purify my heart. And you know what happens then? I get back on track with walking with God. And then I go from adoration, confession, then I thank him, tea, I give him thanksgiving. And then I end my prayer times with supplication. But you know what happens? Every time I spend time in his presence after I adore him and praise him, every time when I confess my sins like that, it's like taking a spiritual shower. It's awesome. What happens, guys, you know what I'm talking about, guys? You're out there in the lawn or something like that, and you're dirty, and you're sweating, and you got all this dirt, and you, know, you just see it on your skin, and then you go in the shower, and physically you get in the shower, and it's warm, and oh, and that, and that dirt just goes off, and you're clean again. Isn't that a good feeling? Same thing spiritually happens. Get into God's shower of confession, and you admit the dirt you've done, and he washes you. He cleanses you. He says, oh, a broken and contrite uh, spirit I will not cast out. And then you say in your heart, oh, like David, God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And then you're close, walking with God again. Amen? Amen? Amen. Good stuff. Good start to our book of 1 John. We'll do 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to see in 1 John chapter 2 some more great principles on on all kinds of stuff as we get into this. I love the first two verses of 1 John chapter 2 because it talks about Jesus being our attorney, our advocate, and our propitiation, which is the righteous, uh, the requ- uh, meaning the requirements of God's righteous requirements based on what he did on the cross. We're going to go deep next week into who Jesus is in 1 John chapter 2. Don't miss it. And let's pray, church. Let's pray right now. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you, God, that you are a God of light you're a God of righteousness and as we walk in the light we have fellowship with you and with one another and also we have fellowship with your son Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin thank you Jesus that you did that for us thank you that you said in your word for the joy set before you you endured the cross for us thank you that your blood cleanses us from all our sin as long as we just receive you as Savior and Lord we're right with the Holy God And Father, I pray that we practice these principles that we learned this morning. Help us to have as the basis of our fellowship with you, God, your son, Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And Father, I pray that when hindrances get involved uh, in our lives, when, when we start getting pulled back into darkness by the evil one who wants us to stay in darkness, I pray that we practice these principles we learned this morning of just being honest and coming into your presence and confessing our sins, home in the jail, agreeing with you that that's wrong, and asking your forgiveness, and repenting, and getting back on track. And Lord, if there's people here this morning that need to do that right now, I pray they'd come to your throne of grace right now. And say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive this in my life, Lord. And Father, I want your forgiveness and your cleansing, and I want to get back not doing that anymore but walking in your light not in in, in the darkness Lord thank you God that you're faithful, you're just you'll forgive as we confess and repent and I pray if you need to do that, do that right now he's a God that's even when we're faithless, he's faithful he's a God that's rich in mercy and grace we thank you for that God we bring these things to your throne of grace and we ask your forgiveness we want to walk right with you, Lord. And thank you, God, for your promise we've seen in your word this morning that the blood of Jesus cleanses us, continually cleanses us from all our sin. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our fellowship with one another too, Lord. Thank you that we we energize one another. We stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to just do that great work of binding us together in your love. I pray as we start family dinner hour this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, I pray that we, in eating together, we'd have some great fellowship too, Lord. I pray that the ladies, as they have this women's retreat this Friday and Saturday, just give them great and koinonia, Lord, fellowship in your spirit. I pray, Lord, as we have these Easter services, and new people by the dozens probably will be coming on this campus, I pray, Lord, that you just help us to bring them into our fellowship, and love them well, God. Help us to be a hospitable church that loves people, Lord, because you love us. We love because you first loved us, God. Thank you, God, for just your word, too, that it is, brings light into our lives. Your word is a lamp under our feet and a light under our path. Help us to walk in that light even this week. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.